Okay, we're in First uh, John chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 15 through 17. First John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. You know, at some point you maybe have heard these, have heard these verses before, so we're going to kind of go through them. Our tendency sometimes is when we read through things is just to kind of gloss over them. But what, what he's going to talk about now is he just laid a foundation of truth that we need to be reaffirmed in, in verses 12 through 14. And now he's going to kind of try to get us to have a proper focus. John wants us to have a proper focus concerning the world that we live in. And so that's what the lesson is basically called, the nature of the world. So let's look at, we're just going to look at three verses here, verse 15, 16, and 17. And then we're going to look and see what he's saying here. So let's look with, look with me. He said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now basically, we can take these three verses. We're going to see a command. We're going to see that in verse 15, the first part of verse 15. We're going to see the implication of that, why we need to listen to what he's telling us in this command. And then we're going to see how the world is defined. He's basically going to define the world for us in verse 16. And then he's going to, but he's going to bring us back to what the reality is. And we're going to see that in verse 17. So let's look first of all, let's talk about the command. I mean, the first thing he tells his readers is, John tells his readers not to love or be contented with the world. He's telling you not to love or be contented with the world. Now, for you and I, when we use the word love, it could mean anything. Because we have one word to describe multi-facets of what love is. For, a, for the Greek audience in which he's writing, he uses a Greek word there, which is agape, which means to find contentment in as well. It's like an all-satisfying love. Okay? So, he tells his readers... Not to be content with or love this world, okay? Now, that's going to be hard for us because all our lives are here and you, and you kind of get to the place where you are contented and you want to make whatever's happening here better. But he's telling you to hold on. If you want to, you can write this down loosely. You can write this down next to what, I'm, what we're saying there. He wants you to hold on loosely to this world, okay? Hold on loosely to this world. So he tells his readers not to love or be contented with this world. Now, what does he mean by the world? Well, when he talks about the world, let me just help you to understand, because some of you might be thinking, well, man, I just love being out in nature. And I you mean he's telling me I can't love the way our area looks and, and all of this? No, no, he's not talking about creation. The world does not refer to creation. So he's not talking about the physical planet. So he's not talking about that at all. Not at all. What is he talking about then? The world refers to the world system or culture. What he's talking about 
is, is that you and I don't get too contented with or love or embrace the world system in which we live in or the culture. Do you understand what I'm saying? That we, we don't need to embrace that. Okay? We don't need to, 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 be, to grab a hold of that. Why? Because the world is hostile to the true God. Now, again, when I'm talking about the world here, I'm talking about the culture or the world system is hostile to the true God. He's hostile to the true God. And when it says the things of the world, if you look at verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things thereof. What it's talking about, it refers to that which the world system offers you. The things of the world is what the culture or the world system offers you. And it, has, it offers a lot, doesn't it? If we think about it, especially when we get to defining the world here in a moment is with what he's saying. Now, here's the implications of why he says this. Why is he telling us this? Loving the world reveals that God's love is not in our lives. So another way of saying it, because he's been saying it throughout the first and second chapter, is, is you're not saved. If you're embracing the world system, if you're wrapped up in the world culture that you're in, that ultimately is anti-God, hostile to what God wants for your life, then God's love is not in your life. So let's stop for a moment, because some of you might be saying, okay, hold on a second, George, I I just don't know. I'm having a hard time here with this. Well... The whole, and some of you might be saying, hostile towards God? Come on, really? Okay, well, let's be honest. All right, let me ask you a question. What does our culture feel about marriage? Mostly a piece of paper or it's a joke, what Scott said. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, in our culture, if you look at culture, the biggest avenue for communicating what our culture is is TV. Most of what you see on TV is people living together. Adultery is promoted big time. That, my friends, is anti-God. That's not what God's intended for us. Okay, what about parents? Okay, what about parental values, parents leading the home? What, What do you think our culture says about that? Again, look at TV. Every dad you see on TV is a buffoon. You don't say he's not a strong leader. I mean, gone are the days of leave it the, leave it the beaver and ward cleaver. But no, seriously, though, think about it. It's more like Homer Simpson. Think about it. Before you say, I'm not sure if I think it's hostile. Well, it's definitely not necessarily overtly in our country, but it's definitely hostile to the values that God would teach us about what he wants for us. Would you agree with that? Okay. He's saying, don't embrace this world. Don't embrace it with its values and so forth. Because if you are so wrapped up in this world and the culture, then he's saying that, you know, there's a, there's a question as to whether or not God's love is really in your life. That's pretty blunt. Because here's what he's going to define the world as. Okay? The world is made up of three components. Now look with me at verse 16. He says, and all that is in the world, what is that? The lust of the flesh, 
the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Now, I heard it this way. You could put it down as the three Ps. If you want to, write three Ps down, one right after the other. It's going to cross-stick. Basically, what the world has to offer us is pleasure, possessions, and power. Pleasure, possessions, and power. And so we'll talk about each one of those here in a moment. As you're going to see that how, how it's fleshed out here. These things are what the world, that's what the culture is. I mean, think about that. Isn't that what our culture, those three things are definitely there in our culture, right? Pleasure, possessions, and what? Power. You know, when I go to Walmart, at least two of them are being worked on me there, right? Because I can buy things for my pleasure, and I can sure leave there with a whole lot more what? Possessions. I feel powerless there, though, so it's not working on the power thing for me, okay? But, uh, you know, the, the point is, is that that's what our culture is offering here. So let's, let's take them one by one. The lust of the flesh, or it is what I say, pleasure. Here's what he's talking about. The world lives for the sinful cravings of our bodies. It's all about what you want. It's all about what you want to do to satisfy yourself. It's all about, and, and it's not just talking about sex here, although sex is one component of pleasure. Pleasure could be coming from, like, you might be one of these guys that likes to jump off of tall buildings on, with a bungee, with a bungee thing, you know, off a bridge or whatever. And you just like the exhilaration of that and the pleasure you get from that. Hey, here's another reason. What, what, we have a big problem with this in our area. What is it? Drugs. People don't do drugs because it's terrible. People do drugs because the experience is what? Pleasurable. Did you understand what I'm saying? There's pleasure from it. People don't get drunk because they're drowning their sorrows away, although somebody might do that. People get drunk because it's what? Pleasurable. It feels, it, it's a nice to have a buzz. Okay? So my point to you is, is that what he's saying here with the lust of our, of our flesh, we're talking about what the body wants to be satisfied. The pleasure we derive from it. So like everybody here, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, okay, let's, let's take a couple illustrations here. Thanksgiving time, most of us here will sit down on Thanksgiving and we'll eat what? Turkey. And, and do we eat sparingly? Like hogs. You're just too graphic for me, bro. I mean, that's... I, I was hoping more for, you know, like we just overeat or something more kosher, okay? Okay? I mean, all right. So, all right. So, and how, how many of you... I, know, I remember this. I mean, I remember even as a boy. I mean, my mom and... And Lori does the same thing. We have a big turkey spread, and, and you just fill up. And what is it about turkey? It just makes you want to sleep, right? Okay? Something in turkey makes you want to do that. And I remember even as a boy just, like, going in there, and the ball games would be on, you know, you know, the, you know be the Lions. That's not a game worth watching. But, of course, the Cowboys, that's not worth watching either. But you fall asleep, and you have feelings of what? Pleasure, Right? From what? Having eaten a great meal. And your body feels what? 
satisfied, at least until you get up and then you go and raid the turkey again for a turkey sandwich or something, right? Okay? You know, it's all about pleasure. It's what your body is craving here. Now, here's what the lust of the eyes has to do with. It has to do with possessions. And possessions is not just stuff. The world lives to satisfy our lustful greed for things and people. Because possessions doesn't have to be stuff. It could be people. Do you know what I mean? When you talk about the lust of your eyes, you're talking about the stuff you want or the people you want. It has to do with you wanting to satisfy something within you. The, the, the cravings for stuff or people in your life. And you know what? You know, I used to think, you know, you know it, it's, it's great to think that we, you know, we're in church and we're sheltered. But in, in time, you know, I've been pastoring a long time now. I've been around now a long time. I've seen people take other people from people. Haven't we seen that? Destroy marriages. Destroy homes. That, that has all to do with this issue of the lust of the eyes. Did you understand that? Well, that has all to do with it here. Here's the other thing, the pride of life. That's, this is the issue of power. The world lives to boast about our achievements and acquisitions. You know? Have you noticed that the, you know, like for those of you who are football fans, when it gets time close to the Super Bowl time, they spend all their time talking about what teams? The teams that have a chance at what? Winning the Super Bowl. Do you ever hear anybody talking about the teams that didn't make it? You might hear a passing thing. Well, maybe they'll do better in the draft, and maybe they'll have a chance next year. But nobody talks about losers. Do you understand what I'm saying? Nobody talks about the down and outers. We all talk about people who have what? Stuff. And people who have power. Okay? And we boast in people's achievements. And this is what he's talking about. Our world is made up of these three things. Again, let's go back to those three Ps, if you wrote down those three Ps. It's all about what? Pleasure, possessions, and power. Pleasure, possessions, and power. I mean, you could break life down into those three things, can you not? I mean, if you look at life, that's what we're striving for. Pleasure, power, and possessions. Can you see that in our lives? How many of us know people who are wrapped up in that? Do we know people that are wrapped up in that? Would you say they love the world because of those three things? Okay. This is what... This is what he's saying. He's telling us, you don't love this world. Okay, yeah, John. Okay, it's a good question. He's saying, shouldn't we strive to better ourselves or have achievement? Yeah, I think so. The Bible kind of tells us that. We need to work. We need to achieve. We need to take care of our family. A person who doesn't take care of their family is worse than an infidel, which is an unbeliever. Okay, so, but what he's talking about here is not what you're talking about. What you're talking about is a general sense of taking care, okay, of achieving. But what he's talking about is where your total focus is this. 
Did you understand what I'm saying? So, okay, let's take a workaholic guy who says, who just works all the time and he's getting more and more and more stuff. And he says, at first he says, I'm doing it for my family. But he never spends any time with his family. Family never sees him. Who's he really doing it for? Yeah, that's called power. Okay. Yes, but if you see, here's the thing, though. Even a Christian can get out of whack, Denny. You can become so consumed with stuff and the acquisition of stuff or the acquisition of pleasure or the acquisition of power that, yeah, you, you might know Jesus, but your life is out of focus. It's out of whack because you're consumed with this world and the things of this world and the stuff that this world has to offer. That's really what it's talking about. It's not talking about what John is saying, that you better yourself. Okay, yeah. There's such a thing as Yeah, we're not talking about that. Yes. Yes. Yeah, where it becomes an all-consuming thing, where it makes up the whole fiber of who you are. Here's the understand. There's two different types of pride. One, the Bible speaks against. Okay? There is a such a thing as pride where it talks about how you view yourself and, and the basis of who you are. And the Bible would talk about us having a pride where we are centered in Christ and we realize our identity in him. Do you understand what I'm saying? And we have pride in ourselves ultimately because of God and also because of what we're achieving as we do as we live for God. Okay? That's not spoken against. But there is a pride that is spoken against where it is selfish, self-centered, self-consuming. Okay? And, and that's what is spoken against here. All right. What were you going to say, Brad? And then Tina raised her hand. Yes. Okay, that's good. What were you going to say, Tina? Yes. Okay. That's two different perspectives. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a great point you're making, and the issue comes down is what are you consumed with? Okay. What are you consumed with? Are you consumed with doing what God wants you to do, which is taking care of your family? And so, yeah, you have to maybe work till 9 o'clock at night to do that. When the, You've got to make hay while the sun shines. Or you're consumed with what you're saying, stuff, power, pleasure, possessions. And that's what he's talking about here. Yeah, Rhonda. No, it's not a question of that. 
No. No. Okay. That is a great point Rhonda's making here. We're not talking about that those who have things are wrong. Do you understand? Because you understand, even in the Bible, even in Israel, there were those who were, had nothing to those who had. The issue is, is what you do with it and what, you, what consumes you. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there is a difference between a guy who's consumed with having more and wants more versus a guy who has and maybe is doing something with it for the betterment of his area or other people. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And there are people who are like that. It's, it, the issue isn't that there's, it's wrong to have stuff. The, it's all about motives. That's what he's talking about here. Okay, that's you hit the word right there. It's all about your motive. Because here's why he's wanting. He wants us to get it all into perspective. Because here's the reality. Let's look at verse 17. The world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Here's what's going on. John points out that the world and its desires are what? Temporary. The world and its desires are temporary. You and I need to not be so consumed with the stuff that this world has to offer. Pleasure, power, possession. Because why? This, this, this is gonna, you're, you're an eternal being as a Christian. Do you realize that? The moment you became a believer in Jesus Christ, you became an eternal being. Yeah, you're inhabiting this body, but you're going to have a new body later on. You, the moment you got saved, you became an eternal being with a life beyond this life. That's what we need to keep in perspective. Is I'm just here passing through. You know what I mean? It's like... I'm trying to think of an illustration to help you understand. I, I got a couple in my mind. Like I remember when I was in, in the National Guard and I went away uh, to boot camp and then AIT and, and everything. And even when we went away for training, like, I, you know, I've been to Fort Campbell, I've been to Fort Knox, I've been to a lot of different forts. And I would go into a barracks and there would be my bunk. And it would be a temporary place for me to be, but I wouldn't get comfortable there. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? It's not like I all of a sudden set a stereo system up in the corner. First of all, they wouldn't let you do that anyhow. And, uh, you know, and, and, and just kind of put pictures up and wall hangings and like, I'm here for the, forever. It was a temporary place. So I didn't kind of get attached to anything there because I knew I was only there what? Momentarily. That's the same thing he's trying to say to us as far as Jim used the word motive. Our motive needs to be is, I'm here temporarily. Yeah, it might be 29, 30, or all your life in one area, but that's nothing compared to what? Eternity. This is a temporary abode. Okay. Well, the Scripture does say, the love, love, the, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and strength and mind. And it also says to love your neighbor as yourself. But it doesn't, you have to be careful when you talk about loving yourself, Ralph. Taking care of yourself, yes. Yeah, that type of love, yes. But if I love myself with a love that's not good, do you understand? There is such a love where you can be consumed with yourself and it's a selfish love. Did you understand what I'm saying? There is a selfishness that enters into it. 
See, here's the problem with us as humanity. God calls us to love as he loves, which is to love in a divine way. But the problem is, is we love as humans, which has been tainted by what? Sin. Yeah, sinful desires. So, okay, we got married couples here, okay? The love you have in your relationships, is it a pure love all the time? Yeah, we'd like to pretend it is, okay? Those of you who have a pure love, please write a book. It'll be a million seller, okay? Tell us how to do it, okay? Because the, because a lot of times, even the love that we express in our relationships are selfish. Do you know what I'm saying? It's sort of like the, you know, I give a gift at Christmas because I love you. Yeah, but there's also, I give a gift to you because I want to know what you're going to give me. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? We, we have strings attached sometimes with our love. So that's even true with our loving ourselves, Ralph. I can get so consumed with myself that it's not a positive thing, it's a negative thing. Well, and that's a good point you're making, and that's the point that he's making here, is don't get consumed with the stuff of this world. This world's passing away. It's only temporary. Did you understand what I'm saying? It's temporary. And, and, and don't we know that from life? Like, for instance, you finally get the car you want. How many of you finally got the car you want? How long did that last? Some of you don't even know where that car is anymore. It probably got melted down somewhere or sitting on the bottom of a pile at Novi's. Okay? Did you know the stuff is temporary? What were you going to say, Scott? Okay, yeah, let's go back. Let's look here. James, I gave it to you. I kind of didn't read the scripture to you. If you go back on your first page there, it's James 4.4. 4. Let me just read it to you. This is what James says. Adulterers and adulteresses. So he's been pretty strong here. James is pretty blunt. He's one of these guys who kind of tells it like it is. Here's what he says. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So he's just flat out saying it. He says, look, if you are at all friendly with the way stuff is happening in your culture, in your world system, what the world has to offer, you got a, you're in enmity with God. What's that? you got a major problem with God. And it's like a major conflict. Enmity there, the word kind of means a conflict situation. All right? And here's what he said. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world, listen to this, makes himself an enemy of God. You're like, you're heading in a different direction. So really the choice that James is saying to us, and even John is saying to us here is, you and I have a choice to make. Now, again, let's put it all into perspective. So he's not talking about me bettering myself, me taking care of my family, me having pride in that sense. He's talking about what you're consumed with, what's the motive for why you're doing what you're doing. And the choice is, is am I going to do what God wants me to do and follow Him, or I'm going to do what the culture says, the world system says. Which, let's be honest, that's changing, isn't it? It's constantly changing. 
The world system's con- I mean, how do you keep up with it? You know, do you know what I'm saying? It's constantly changing. Okay, yeah, Mike. Yes. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. The rich young ruler comes to him and says, "What do I must? What must I do to inherit eternal life?" And he says, "We'll keep the commandments." And the guy says, "Well, I've kept them." And Jesus says, "Why?" Well, I, I I, I still sense that there's one issue here. He says, sell all you have and follow me. And the guy turned away sadly. Why? Because he had a multitude of what? Stuff and possessions and riches because that's where his heart is. Okay, let's talk for a moment. This is really what the issue is. This motive is part of it, but it goes one step further. Where's your heart? Is it where what God wants for your life or is it what you want? It's the issue of where your heart is. Now, go ahead, Tina. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but she made a really good point. If you're doing it for the right reasons, there is a satisfaction there. If you're doing it for a wrong reason, it, she's, and I think it was really cool what she said there, it's like an endless, it's like a bottomless pit. Do, do you know what I'm saying? It's like you're never satisfied. Do you know what I'm saying? You're never satisfied. Okay. Okay. That's good. Yes. Yeah, that's good, Tina. So the, really, the issue is: is what are you? What are you personally? What What is it that you're wanting? Is it Is it what God wants for your life, or is it that you want what you want? Is it selfishness versus what God wants? That's really what the issue is here. Because, again, let's get it a little bit back into perspective here. The world is passing away. Have you, you noticed that? The world's passing away. Like I, I just heard the other day, they're trying to decide what to do in D.C. They're always trying to decide what to do in D.C. But this time it's with the J. Edgar Hoover FBI building. Okay? You know, there's a building down there where the FBI is. It's named after the you know J. Edgar Hoover. And... the I was listening to NPR, and it's a big discussion because the building is falling into disrepair. First of all, they said the building's ugly anyhow, okay? But it's, it's falling into disrepair. So the question is now, do they, do they spend the money to fix it, do the repairs, renovate it, or do they just rip it down and put something else that it looks better? And I thought, isn't that interesting? You know, here's a here's major building in our capital where they have all this stuff, but everything, even the, not, even the stuff that they build, what happens to it? Deteriorates. It's passing away. 
You know, some of you, you've lived in an area long enough, and you can remember when somebody built a building. And as the years go by, now when you drive by it, it looks pretty ugly. Did you know what I'm saying? And it looks like they're not taking care of it. And you remember when they first built it, and it looked really nice. Now it looks dumpy. You know, and some of you have even seen when those buildings have been ultimately what? Torn down. And that's just the nature of our world. What The world is passing away, and ultimately it will pass away when who comes away? Comes back? Jesus. When we enter into the eternal state, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So don't, don't get too wrapped up in what this world has to offer is what he's saying here. But here's the reality concerning believers. This is what our focus needs to be. Those who do the will of God remain forever. The word there is abide. Abide means to remain in. What he's saying here is, is that, but he who does the will of God abides forever. He remains forever. That's really what's going to stand. Did you understand what I'm saying? That's really what's going to stand in the end. Because here, I, I, like, I like to look at it this way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about the building of a building, and he says we all build on the foundation of Christ. And, and, but we, put, we build with wood, hay, stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. And in the end, it's all going to pass through the fire. Now, what happens to wood, hay, stubble when it goes through the fire? What happens to gold, silver, and precious stones when they pass through the fire? They're actually purified. You know, what we have, we're actually living for something beyond this place. And what I'm doing here now is going to be judged, and if it was worthless, it's going to be what? Burned up. In fact, Paul would say, you may want to read this in 1 Corinthians 3, he would say that some will have everything burned up except that they're saved. All they have is their salvation. They have nothing else. Because the, what they lived for their lives here was what? Meaningless. Because this world is what? Passing away. You know? Passing away. 